The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Dear all, today uh, we are going to start our Dhamma session now. And uh, as uh, Brother introduced me, I'm Venerable Pasadika. Uh, also known as Bante Pasadika, so you can easily call me Bante Pasadika. And this is my first session in BSV, uh, even though this is not my first visit to BSV. I have visited uh, the center a few years ago, uh, and two times, I think. One time for Dhamma talk, and this is my uh, and one time just to visit. Uh, so, uh, in this morning, I would like to share some important uh, Buddhist lessons with you, especially that can help you to develop a meditation. Because when you look at the pathway of Buddhism, uh, most interesting and the most important section of Buddhist teaching system is uh, meditation. Even though it's not the only teaching. Have you heard about, I think you have heard about the sutta called Vimuktayatana. There's a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya, the name Vimuktayatana Sutta, that explain there are five different pathways to reach Nibbana. Depend on the knowledge, faculty knowledge. So different people, uh, individual, they have different type of faculty knowledge internally. The knowledge that they develop throughout the journey of samsara. So people who have developed in such a level, if the level is uh, into high level, as we consider, then all these five gates or five doors are open for them. If it is not enough, then we have developed them slowly. It may take a year, two years, five years, ten years, maybe ten lifetimes, maybe hundred thousand lifetimes. We never know. It's a long journey. <clears throat> the Lord Buddha have completed the aspirations throughout for Asankhya Kappa. So waiting for a few years is not a big deal when you look at that journey. So uh, the most important thing that one can do to develop the qualities in Buddhist practice is to engage with the practice and develop those qualities. Knowledge is important, but applying the quality is the base of the practice, right? So the Vimuktaratana Sutta explains that there are five different ways to develop our faculty knowledge or to reach Nibbana. First thing is by listening. In the Sutta it's very clear that uh, there were some Arahantas like Venerable Sariputta Bhante, Venerable Moggallana Maharahanta Bhante and many other Arahantas have reached the Nibbana, reached the Enlightenment, by listening to Lord Buddha, at the same time by contemplating on what he thought. So they practice while they are listening. So listening to Dhamma talk is also a practice. Unfortunately these days we think that listening to a Dhamma talk is just a source to gather knowledge. And then later you have to go back home and practice. No, listening is a practice. You can contemplate on to the talk. While someone is explaining that, or while you're reading, you can pay attention to the text or the knowledge, and then you can apply at the same time. So that's really helpful for a person who practices meditation. So Dhamma talk is a way to develop meditation. Dhamma talk is a way to concentrate and pay your attention there while you're listening to Dhamma. So that's a pathway to reach Nibbana. And then next one is sharing Dhamma. I think each and every one of us, you don't have to become a monk to share Dhamma. Even as a layperson, you can share Dhamma with your friends, with your family, with your Dhamma friends. We can discuss about it. Like, I think these days is very rare, but if you look at the text, you can see that those days, even lay people discuss about Dhamma when they gather. Unfortunately, these days, you listen to Dhamma from monks, and when you gather, you gossip. That's the problem. So, 
those days, uh, people who practiced, they, they try to engage with the Dhamma practice, even with their friends, with the noble friends, Kalyanamittas. That's why Lord Buddha mentioned that associating a Kalyanamitta, a noble friend, is very important because when you are with a person or other friends who practice the pathway, they like to discuss the matters regarding Dhamma and the meditation and the pathway. That encourage you, at the same time that helps you to practice meditation, that helps you to keep your focus on the pathway. So giving Dhamma or sharing Dhamma is also a pathway to reach Nibbana. There was an Arahanta called Great Venerable uh, Malideva Maharahanta. He reached the Enlightenment. So he reached the Enlightenment while he was giving a Dhamma talk. Because when he gave the Dhamma talk, he did not normally... Um, there, there's an, another example about it that Lord Buddha explained to monks, also to lay people, that if you share Dhamma, if you give a Dhamma talk, there are specific rules that you have to follow. You can't share Dhamma with the intention of getting benefit. You, you can't share Dhamma with the intention of impressing someone. You have to share Dhamma with the intention of supporting others. You have the intention of helping others. You should have the intention of bringing them from their uh, present condition to a better condition by the Dhamma pathway. So you should have that noble intentions when you share. You, you should not have the intention to show off that you have this much of knowledge and this and that. You should be uh, kind and compassionate about this audience and then provide what they want with the intention of bringing them to a better level. So if you do that with the intention, then you have a pure intention. And then you should contemplate on each and everything that you talk, that you teach. That contemplation can help you to settle down your mind. So the Venerable Arahant Maria Deva Maharatan Mahansi reached the enlightenment by uh, giving them a talk. He focused to the talk. And then chanting, also a pathway to reach Nibbana. According to Vimuktayatana Sutta, chanting is also a pathway. Because chanting, also have a meaning. If you just chant the chanting without knowing the meaning, uh, just for the sake of uh, continuing the tradition, then it won't affect you that much. But if you know the meaning of the chanting, and if you follow the meaning, and if you chant with that, that's a meditation. You can see that even without uh, the meaning, if you chant, you feel like relax, and you feel kind of tranquilized mind. You can experience a sort of tranquilization by uh, practicing chanting. It helps you to settle your mind down. So how about if you know the meaning? How about if you have very good idea about the chanting, word by word, and you're chanting that with that meaning? So then you're contemplating on the pathway, you're contemplating on the Dhamma, then you're focusing. And the last two is meditation, that is Concentration and insight, samatha and vipassana. So among the five gates, listening to dhamma, sharing dhamma, and chanting. The last two is con uh, concentration and insight meditation. So the last two gates, I think I don't have to explain because we all agree that most important and most valuable practical approach, the pragmatics of Buddhism is uh, Buddhist meditation. I think that's why all of you are here today, that you develop an interest about meditation and wanted to practice meditation into a better level. So, in Buddhist teaching system, meditation is not something that you just practice while you are sitting in a meditation hall. I consider that as a testing ground. Meditation hall is the testing ground for you. You can test your ability when you meditate. But the entire path or the entire meditation is depend on how you spend your day. According to Satipatthana Sutta, meditation is not just a one or two hour job. That's something that the modern world like to apply because we are used to that. 
we used to fulfill the courses okay we have done one hour a day today done take is done okay one hour for tomorrow done one hour for next day done so we develop kind of satisfaction by counting the hours or counting the time that we spend counting the uh, days that we meditated so it's good for your own satisfaction it also helps you to develop meditation like imagine that someone cannot meditate at all and that person wants some support for sure that person can be we can motivate someone in that way by advising the person to practice at least 5 minutes a day if someone is not interested in meditation you can just ask them okay just try 5 minutes a day that's nothing to lose just just try 5 minutes a day and then you can continue that maybe one week continuously 5 minutes a day two week continuously 5 minutes a day one month continuously like that so then after some time they will develop a little bit of interest about it because they have practiced and then they will increase the time that's a technique of course but the time itself won't give you the proper results calculating time or gathering information about your meditation experiences won't give you results we have to engage the entire process with with our effort throughout the day when you look at the qualities of dhamma you explain opanayaka and sandittika both have similar meaning not the same meaning different meaning but explains that the only way that one can understand the dhamma by looking through yourself by analyzing yourself by applying yourself not by applying to others not by applying to the society i think these days we are not these days actually all the time we like to uh, learn a philosophy or knowledge and then like to compare about it learn something and then compare learn something and then compare most of the time we like to compare the outer world we compare and complain about the world but lord buddha said that you have to compare with yourself and complain about yourself and fix the mistakes to do that we have to engage with meditation throughout the day so don't worry about it you don't have to sit for 24 hours but just to pay attention what is going on just to pay attention about the good and bad deeds that we practice try to reduce the bad deeds and bad thoughts that arise in our mind try to increase the good thoughts and the compassion based mental factors in our mind kindness based mental factors in our mind develop more right any mental factors against the hatred any mental factors against unnecessary attachments any mental factors against delusion so that's a way to develop someone into a better level there is a sutta in anguttara nikaya called rahad sutta they talk about deepness of the dhamma deepness of the concepts deepness of an individual they say that lord buddha mentioned there there are four types of uh lakes that you can recognize in the forest mm-hmm. this is really a wonderful example and really interesting sutta about our society because when monks live in the forest mm-hmm. they there are some uh, some areas you have to be very careful and especially when you go to find water sources sometime you have to be well not we have to be very careful about the water source sometime because sometime there can be dangerous animals who can attack you from there or if especially if you <clears throat> use the water in a deep lake then you have to be careful with the water there so then he introduced four types of lakes in the forest one type is not a deep lake but look look like it's deep when you go there the nature of the lake is deep looks fierce and deep but it's not really deep when you go there and when you put a stick in and then or if you check closely you can see the lake is not that deep the second type of lake 
the lake is deep but doesn't look like deep. The third type, it is not deep, looks like not deep, and deep, and it looks like deep. So it's very simple, four different types of lakes. So by the example that would explain that, we can find different type of people in the society, different characters in the society, in the same manner. There are some people, they look like very simple. From the outside, the external observation would be a simple person. When you judge someone, you can see, oh, this person is a simple person. But actually, there's a huge deepness into that person. That person have a deep understanding, but looks like a simple person, look like a person who don't have any deepness. There are other, the second category, the person is deep, but doesn't look, the first, first category is deep, but doesn't look like deep. The second category, the person is not deep. And person or the individual don't have enough knowledge, don't have enough understanding, but pretend to be a person with a deep understanding. Pretend to be a person with uh, deep moral values. But actually, in the real character, you don't have that. And the third category, they are not in a deep understanding and they show that. Fourth category, they are in a deep understanding and they show that. So, which category would be the best category according to Dhamma? Lord Buddha mentioned that. Uh, when you look at someone, that external observation can never find a solution for that. That's what normally what we do, right? We observe things externally and we go for judgment. Without finding the real uh, cause of it without checking with the roots. We just go with the external understanding, external observation, and then we go for a judgment. There you cannot mm, engage with the proper Dharma practice because the teachings of Lord Buddha is not for external observation. Mm, you have to study about it, and you have to apply about it, and then you have to study deeply about it, and then apply deeply about it. So all these different layers are there for us to practice. Hmm? So there can be person, there can be an individual who like to practice the pathway, who have just started the pathway, and the mind is not developed yet, but he is trying his best to engage with the practice trying his best to develop the practice. That person is still not deep enough, still haven't reached the deep levels of Dhamma, but because of his practice, he appeared to be a deep person. So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Even though that you haven't reached certain levels in the Dhamma, certain levels in the practice, your engagement to the practice, your effort to the practice, your consistency to the practice will decide how importantly that you are developing the pathway. That will make you a person who appears to be deep. So in the general world, we think that if someone is not deep enough, but if he appears to be deep, it's bad. It's not like that. Because if you're practicing which means you try to understand the deep concept. You try to struggle. Then you ask, what is the meaning of deep concepts? Which means that we try to struggle with our mind every day. Even though that we know anger is a bad deed, a bad thing. Anger arises in our mind. That's a struggle. We know the attachment is a dangerous matter, but we struggle with it. It appears again and again. You know, delusion is a bad thing, dangerous uh, mental factor, but it appears every time, again and again. So to understand, yes, delusion is there, it's bad, anger is dangerous, attachment is dangerous, and you struggle with it, that struggle, it's a good struggle. Rather than struggling to fulfill the anger, 
to fulfill the unnecessary attachments and fulfill the delusion. Most of the time, I think the entire world, majority of the world struggle to fulfill that. We try to fulfill our anger. We struggle to fulfill our desires, fulfill our ego, fulfill our delusion. But instead of that, if someone is trying to eradicate the anger, try to eradicate the attachment, try to eradicate the delusion, and that struggle hmm, is an important struggle. Even though if you are in the beginning stages, but if you are trying your best, hmm, that's a person who appears to be deep, but still not. Hmm. So it's not a bad thing. I think majority of the beginners, practitioners, they do that. And I appreciate that because some of the practitioners, they really, really struggle with their practice sometime in the beginning. They complain about their meditation, they complain about the sitting time, they complain about the back pain. Thousand complaints. If you look at, look at the reports, a lot of different type of complaints are there because they struggle to develop their mind, concentrate their mind, keep their mind in one place. And if someone is struggling in that way, that's not something bad. So if you are struggling, if you still struggle to practice meditation, that's a good thing which means you still have the interest and passion to practice. That's a really good thing. The problem in the world is that people don't really feel bad about it. Like if someone is not practicing, they think it's okay. And someone don't practice at all, don't try to develop their mind at all, but they think, ah, it's okay, no problem. That's the, that's, that's the problem, that's the point that we should be worried about. So if someone is practicing in such a manner, then all these small difficulties that we face hmm, are challenges that we have to overcome. So if someone is trying their best to overcome those challenges one by one, hmm, then that's a big support. Hmm. Then you're practicing the pathway. The second category hmm, is that uh, you are uh, that the, the lake is deep but doesn't appear to be deep. The first is lake is not deep but appear to be deep. Second one, lake is deep but doesn't appear to be deep. Which means that there are individuals that have the ability to practice but don't want to practice. Which means, in the beginning I mentioned a word, faculty knowledge. The knowledge that someone holds from the journey of samsara, the ability of the person to practice meditation, ability of the person to understand the deep concept. Imagine someone is there, he has the ability into the highest level, but he don't have the strength or the effortfulness to practice. There are uh, people like that in our society. We cannot recognize them, we cannot identify them because we don't have the uh, faculty knowledge to understand their faculties. So only Lord Buddha had that knowledge called Indriya Paroparita Jnana. So there can be uh, practitioners who don't engage with practice that much, but they have the ability. So we don't know. We have to try. We have to start practicing to check whether we have the ability or not. So that's the second, third category is they are not deep and appear to be. So that's the normal world. Majority of the world is like that. Majority of the world cannot recognize what is going on in the pathway, cannot, cannot recognize what is going on in your mind and don't want to recognize. That's the category. So uh, I think most of the ordinary world we can recognize that don't have that much of interest in understanding what is going on in your mind, don't have that much of interest to develop the mind, don't have that much of interest to practice the pathway. So they appear in the same way and their, inter, their internal abilities or insight is the same. The last and deepest category that explain that they have the ability, they have the quality, they have the faculty knowledge and they practice with the deep and maximum effort. So they recognize themselves as they have the ability and they practice with the maximum ability. That's the fourth category. That's, 
So now we have to understand one thing. Not to judge others, not to check others. What type of person that my, my friend is? Is a deep person with a non-deep uh, appearance or non-deep person with a deep appearance? You have to check yourself. Not friends or society or anyone else. Try to understand yourself what type of person you are. Are you a person with deep understanding? Are you a person with soft understanding? Are you a person with deep ability? Or are you a person with simple abilities? So now we go back to the concept again. Can all these four categories practice meditation and develop? Yes. There are different abilities, but it doesn't say that none of these categories are hmm, rejected. Because any mental ability or any faculty knowledge or any type of uh, any personality can engage with the practice. Doesn't matter what category that we belong to. Only thing, if you know the category, it'll be easy for you to engage with meditation and find a proper technique for you. It'll be easy for your teacher to guide you through the pathway if you recognize who you are correctly. It'll be easy for you to practice the pathway if you recognize what type of personality that you have, what type of ability that you have. So if you practice the pathway in that manner, that'll be easy for you to uh, bring yourself into a better level. And also, each and every level can support hmm, with the meditation. Each and every level can develop the path. Each and every level can develop the knowledge of Dhamma. So, according to the text of Lord Buddha's, uh, especially according to the Sutta, there are four type of uh, categories available, as I explained before. So, imagine that we belong to the lowest category. That's the worst thing can happen, right? So, what if... Should we give up meditation and give up the practice? No. That's why Lord would have explained from the beginning. He explained, There are steps to develop. Even though sometime, by the sake of meditation, that we have forgotten some of the most important steps. First thing is precept. Discipline. We know before starting any subject, each and every subject in this world have a specific amount of disciplines. Right? They have designed and recognized you have to be disciplined to engage with this practice. Every practice. If you, look in, if you want to start, uh, study a language, if you want to study a subject like mathematics or science, even a martial art or anything like that, any subject, they have a specific rules and regulations and disciplines. Same apply to Buddhist practice. Same apply to the meditation as well. If someone wants to practice the pathway, there is, there, there are steps and there is a specific way that you can do that. So the pathway starts with sila. In the Sanyukta Nikaya, Devata Sanyukta, Lord Buddha very clearly explained that to a deity, what is the foundation of the pathway? Sile patitthaya. The foundation is the precept. Sile. And then only you can develop into this next level. That doesn't mean that you have to complete the sila. Some think, understand that mistakenly, that you have to complete the discipline part, part first, and then you have to complete the concentration part next, and then you have to complete the insight part. There's no such an order, but you have to start with the discipline. For sure. You may not be able to fulfill the discipline, but you have to start with the discipline. That's five precepts. For a Buddhist, most important, and the beginning of the uh, discipline would be five precepts. And then, developing five precepts itself will help you to develop meditation. You know that if you analyze that very well, if you recognize that in a better way, Five precepts itself have a huge ability to change ourselves. Just look at the first precept, not to kill 
and a living being. And behind that, there's a huge meaning to show compassion hmm, to each and every living being in the world. Not only restrain from killing, we don't kill or harm. Up to a point, hmm, mentally, verbally or physically. Imagine if you have a mindset not to hurt another living being mentally, physically or verbally. How noble and how clear your mind would be. Imagine if you have an ability not to hurt anyone mentally, physically or verbally. Hmm? Then you will show the ultimate compassion to the society, to everyone. And imagine if you don't have any interest about other people's things. Because that's the second precept, hmm? stealing. You steal things because you like the things that you don't, that don't, that's not belong to you. So you steal things. Imagine that you have a mentality that you have no interest about others' things, any material or anything, mentally, physically or verbally, any, any, any condition. Imagine if your mind is like that. Then your mind will be more relaxed. So these are not just rules. These are practiced. So if you practice like that, you won't have any unnecessary interest about the things. So you'll be more free and relaxed. Same thing will apply for the third precept as well. Then you'll be more faithful to your society, to your family. You will be happy with your family. You will try to find all the uh, important points to be happy and to be together with your family without find, going for alternative options. And the fourth one, you'll be truthful. You'll speak only the truth. And you'll speak Dhamma, because if you only speak the truth, Dhamma would be the ultimate truth. So you'll be a person who always engage with the pathway. And the last one, that most of the, uh, I think, majority of the Buddhist society don't agree with that. Uh, majority of the Buddhist society would like to find an find excuse for that. That is the fifth precept. And one of, one of, my, one of my devotees said that, I'm a good Buddhist if Lord Buddha did not introduce the fifth precept. So, because they, uh, so, which means that he's breaking the fifth one. So, but fifth precept is one of the most important. Why? It directly engage with mindfulness. Most important practice in the pathway is mindfulness, satipatthana. Can you be mindful if you're intoxicated? No. So, fifth precept is one of the most important. There's a possibility that you may lie without intention. Maybe you lie without mindfulness. You just, you just say some words without proper uh, idea in your mind. Maybe just say, say words like that without intention of uh, fooling someone. But... If you drink alcohol or if you, if you use any, any type of intoxicants, then you're intentionally putting yourself into a stage that you can't be mindful anymore. So that's why Lord Buddha introduced these five disciplines. These are not just rules. These five disciplines will help you to change yourself to a better person. Just simply, as I always mention this, we're talking about the world peace. Imagine this five precepts. Imagine, this is just an imagination. If each and every individual, each and every human in this world practice the five precepts, the world peace will be there. If everyone is protecting five precepts, we don't need any type of law enforcement. We don't need prisons. We don't need judicial system. We don't even, even need papers like deeds and all. We don't need signatures because... No one is lying. You don't need signatures or deeds for your properties anymore because you won't lie about, oh, this is my property. If someone say like that, you believe that because no one is lying. That's only an imagination, but imagine at least if there's a situation like that. If there's a uh, society like that, the world peace will be there. And no need to establish any borders or secure them or go for a war or anything. One of the easiest ways to achieve the world peace is to encourage everyone in the world to practice five precepts. That will be the easiest way to achieve that. So, but if you study Buddhist history, there are 
there were times in the history that we cannot prove archaeologically today because it's according to the book according to the text is like a long time ago uh, there was a time that the world was peaceful and the entire world tried to protect five precepts that's the time of the chakravarti kings the great chakravarti kings time some of you may say that we don't have any evidence about it archaeologically i believe that it was there because it's in the text and i believe the text of lord buddha his words so but some of you may not believe i'm not in this audience but in the audience because talk is going to publish online so the audience may there may be someone listening to this talk not i don't believe that because there's no archaeological evidence so how about the concept concept is there in the text there's a concept that there was a time there was a king and the people protected five precepts and world was peaceful at least that concept when no one was talking about that ideology no one was talking about that in 6th century bc lord buddha talk about it and he explain it if we can develop a world that everyone protects the precepts that everyone practice world will be a peaceful place no one will fight for anything because they are just minding their own business and uh, try to develop their mind so this path there is explained the simple thing that we have learned as five precepts have a very deep meaning five precepts itself can help us to develop our mind into a very strong and powerful level there's an example for that very clear example because when you look at a sotapanna person person who reached the first attainment you can see the sotapanna person will not break because if you if you analyze the qualities of a sotapanna person he have unshaken faith unshaken belief about lord buddha dhamma and sangha qualities of buddha qualities of dhamma and qualities of sangha and he will never break five precepts so that's the easiest and the most common way to explain a sotapanna person and also the next level we explain about they don't have doubt they don't have the sakayaditti and vichikicha sataiti vichikicha silabata paramasa so then uh, person then they uh, then this in the two or three different types of explaining a sotapanna person one is to explain that sotapanna person will never break the first attainment will never break any type of uh, precept in the first five which mean first first five disciplines or first five precepts are really powerful and can support someone to reach up to a level like sotapanna so it's not simple it's not just rules so don't ignore that that can be the starting of the practice that can be the biggest encouragement to your practice and also the contemplation if you are a person who protect five precepts after some time after one month or one year or something when you look back about your life when you contemplate in your practice and pathway and your principles you will be overly happy about it that happiness is something that you, that you can never earn or never reach by any type of entertainment i know there are some practitioners some devotees who practice with me for a long time now they say that bante i try to try not to lie for ear so past year i did not lie intentionally so the happiness that they developed by saying that it's so much and there were some saying that no i didn't break any precept during that month so at the end when you contemplate about it the happiness that you develop based on the principles that you have uh, developed is mm, huge that's the practice mm. so all the time we talk about practice there are a lot of information to process when you talk about practice so there are a lot of small small points that you have to consider mm. meditation is very important but there are a lot of other things to cover up when you develop meditation if you want to develop meditation into a higher and stable level that's how we do that so this practice have a lot of supportive factors there are there's no way that someone can practice meditation without learning and without getting into all these supportive practices so in in the journey 
those small facts and supportive techniques will help you to develop your pathway. So that's why uh, most of the kids, when, when we share Dhamma, they say that it looks like the pathway is clear. Most of the kids, they comment about it like, like you say that just protect five precepts, close your eyes and meditate, and you'll reach Nibbana. That's how they recognize that because it's just, that's, that's easy for them. Or you understand that you complete the eightfold path, you understand the four noble truth, that's it, that's a Nibbana. That's a theory. That's the easy mechanism. But there are a lot of thousand different supportive factors are there. That's why we learn Dhamma while we are developing the pathway towards Nibbana. So the direct pathway is there, of course, that's correct. But to engage with that, to practice that pathway, you have to develop all these different type of small, small supportive factors. Some of you may don't need that because you already have the faculty knowledge that you have developed from a long time. We don't know that. If someone is sure about it, then don't worry about it. If not, the best way to practice and best way to engage is to pay attention to those details and try to develop those qualities while you are developing the meditation. So it's a parallel practice. You practice the meditation and then you practice qualities. And then you're happy with the practice or the level of meditation that you're practicing and you develop understanding by practicing qualities and you engage with Dhamma by practicing qualities. So that's the easiest way to reach to a stable stage to reach the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Mm. I'd like to discuss about this topic more, a lot of information about it, but mm, the most precious thing that we don't have is the time. So unfortunately, we have to end the talk today and I'd like to share this meritorious deeds with all of you. First of all, I'd like to share the merits for all of you to reach the ultimate bliss of Nibbana and to practice into the highest level. May all of you re receive these meritorious deeds and be happy, healthy, peaceful and content and reach the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Like, I'd like to share this merits to all the monks in the world and all the deities in the world and all the passive relatives and all other living beings I'd like to share the meritorious deeds. May all of them be happy, healthy, peaceful and content and reach the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Ittavata cham hehi sambhatang punya sampadang sabbe devanumo dantu sabbha sampati siddhya Ittavata cham hehi sambhatang punya sampadang sabbe bhutanumo dantu sabbha sampati siddhya Ittavata cham hehi sambhatang punya sampadang sabbe sattanumo dantu sabbha sampati siddhya Idam me nyatinang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idam me nyatinang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idam me nyatinang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idam me punyang asavakya vahang hotu Sabadukha pamujjatu Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu So now is the time for us to ask questions. Looks like we don't have any questions today. If, if we don't have any questions from the floor, we do have one online question. Um, hello from Florida, USA. Thank you for the Dharma teachings, Bhante. Can you please explain the Dharma quality of Akalika? Akalika. <clears throat> Akalika means that the teachings of Lord Buddha will not be affected by the time. As an example, today, there are, there are a few different explanations. I'll go with the more simple one, a little easier for you to understand. So, first thing, that when you look at the uh, Dhamma, the Lord Buddha have taught this pathway almost 2,600 years ago. So, we can see some of these examples that Lord Buddha have uh, given. And some of these methods that he have used um, belong to the 6th century B.C., Mostly we struggle with the kids these days because they, uh, like, without going for the, for the theory or for the understanding, we go for the detail. Then if you go for the detail, sometimes some of the details, some of the examples are given by Lord Buddha to the society of 6th century BC. 
But when, when you look at the theory, the theory is still applicable for today. Like all these main and major teaching systems of Lord Buddha is 100% applicable for the modern society. So even though that we have passed 2,500 years, 600 years, that's still the pathway, still the, still the uh, knowledge is there, still the practice is practical, still we can get results out of that. So there's no, time is not, not a, a thing, or time, time is not a, a considerable fact when you go for the understanding of Dhamma. That's the meaning of Akaliga. But when you look at, I'm not discriminating or I'm not rejecting any other teaching system, but you can look at the uh, other teachings of uh, like science and other things like, when you look at it, it develops, it changes throughout the time. So in a way it's good. That's why I, I can't really give a comment about it because sometimes changing of a subject is good because the ch subject is changing according to the practical approach and the benefits, of course. So then the science and technology that we have used in uh, maybe 19th century, 18th century, most of them are not applicable for today sometimes. Most of the concepts prove to be wrong by now. And uh, so that's why some subjects are there. They are not akalika because by the time they change, by the time you have to update. But the teachings of Buddha, especially the techniques to practice and develop the mind, will not change based on the time. So time will change, but the technique will be there. You can apply the same technique. Not only that, if you understand about the previous Buddha's concept, because now we know our Gautama Buddha is there, and before Gautama Buddha, you know, Kakusanda, Konagamana, Kashapa, all these Buddhas were there in this Kalpa. So their knowledge is exactly the same. Their, their understanding and the pathway, the Noble Eightfold Path that they thought is the same. So in a way that Dhamma is an eternal thing, that eternal practice that uh, found out by noble Lord Buddhas and then they deliver that Dhamma to us. So that's the meaning of Akalika in a simple way. Uh, thank you, Bhante. Are there any questions from the floor? Yeah, yes. Hey, Bhante, uh, may I ask a question about merit mm. and sharing of merit? Mm -hmm. Yes. What is merit? Mm -hmm. And does the sharing of merit actually get received? Mm. Yes. That's a wonderful question because I get that question more often, especially from the kids, because I do more programs with the kids and uh, their parents teach them about it all the time, that you do this, you get good merits, you do, do this and get bad merits. Uh, first of all, you have to think about the word merit. So I use the same word in, in Europe. Uh, the audience was not that happy about it. Because they already have a meaning for that. This is a little issue there that when we translate <coughs> Buddhist concept to uh, another language, which they already have definition for the, those words, then that's a little bit difficult to explain. Because as an example, meritorious deeds, the word merit already had a definition. The Buddhist concept was punya. Hmm? Or... or uh, kusala, the concept. Have you heard about the word kusala oponya in Pali? There's a word called kusala oponya. That's the concept. So if you just translate the word punya and kusala directly to merit, then the word merit already have a different definition. So if you explain that to someone who speak English, they won't understand. But in our society, we understand that because we already know the definition of merit, uh, punya and kusala. So if you translate that to merit, then uh, you understand what you're talking about the punya. But to a society who understand the merits, who know the definition of merits, is different. Because the definition of merit comes from the early uh, European uh, religious background. And modern day, if you say merit, then it's something like that you earn in the school, points that you earn, and you can share those points. This uh, merit concept, or the kusala concept in Buddhism, is nowhere near that. There's a very easy way to explain that. Punya setang sukha sadhivachana. That's a Pali. What is the meaning of punya or kusala? A synonymous or a similar word to happiness. Sukha sadhivachana. 
and that's why i personally use like to use the word wholesome karma or good karma instead of using merit i use the word good karma wholesome karma wholesome activity like that and like to use the word punya or uh, kusala because then when someone asks me what is punya what is kusala then i can explain that in english so actually if you are performing an activity which uh, related to the pathway and makes you happy the happiness is the kusala right now you understand what is merit right the like as an example if you offer something to someone to an animal even even small amount of food to an animal that offering can makes you happy when you see the animal is eating when you see the bird or someone is eating you feel happy about it when you offer someone to uh, food to some uh, your friends maybe to monks to anyone you feel happy according to that the happiness that you develop by offering gives a good karma that's a wholesome activity wholesome karma good karma that's merit so when you practice meditation you feel the same way when you chant you feel the same way when you talk to someone nicely even though they are rude towards us you feel happy because you were nice to them you try to be nice you try to control yourself so this happiness that we develop is good meritorious deeds or wholesome karma so how to share that according to lokuda sutta sharing meritorious deeds is not something like sharing a power it's that the person be happy according to your happiness that's how you share the merits like if the person can see what you're doing if the person can hear what you're doing if the person can know what you're doing then that person uh, will develop happiness based mental factors based on what you have done and what you have said then he also developed meritorious as an example you perform an activity and then you come to me and say bante i have given a dana like that please share my merits and i say oh wow that's good thank you for informing me so that that reply of me that acceptance of me create a meritorious deeds in my heart because i'm happy about it same thing same condition will apply to someone who passed away if the person can receive the information yes So how about then if the person cannot receive information then unfortunately they can't share so most of the people they ask me my devotees ask me about it if you if the if the parents or someone passed away can't receive meritorious deeds why we share them because we don't know what stage they are in we don't know whether our passed relatives are in a place that they can receive merits or cannot receive merits so i believe that they are in a place that they can receive merits and then we share and then how about if they are not in the place to share merits then we have multiple parents right parents of the previous life parents of the previous life and life before and life before and life before kids of the previous life and life before millions and millions of passive relatives are there that linked with us any of them can be there to receive the meritorious deeds to be happy according to our merits that we share so sharing merits is a very important thing to support imagine the person imagine there's an there's a living being or any anyone uh that have no connection to us but also need merits also be want to be happy according to us so we can share them that's why i always say uh, may all the living beings in the world share this merit so if anyone is there can share the merits and can be happy according to our practice so that's how we share merits and that's the meaning of merits and any other question uh thank you so much i have a question but it's not uh about dharma itself it's more about your direct experience mm-hmm. so i want to know uh more about how many teachers or mentors did you have uh and how did you meet them and how they inspired you mm. um yeah actually i'm from sri lanka so sri lanka is a buddhist country um like after 19 after 1996 or something i we recognized that sri lanka start talking about meditation and there were meditation programs the more popular among that time that's the time that i start uh, like listen to them yeah since i was very young i met a lot of uh, experienced meditation teachers um, like if you ask the number it'll be more than 20 30 of 
senior meditation teachers as a lay person so uh, at the beginning i have no idea about practice because i was belong to a buddhist community buddhist family so i practice the path there because it's our tradition it's our culture so i like the path there because it's our culture and tradition but throughout the time like when i learned with those uh, meditation teachers and also some friends who inspired me the pathway uh, i recognized that uh, the path of lord buddha like it's not something that happened in a day uh, like slowly i start recognizing uh, there's more towards this pathway not only this uh, general teachings that we are learning like mostly in our culture we have more stories a lot of stories are there so we when we go to dhamma talk we listen to lot most of the stories and we get inspiration from the stories and there are characters of lord buddha and bodhisattva like that so when i met these meditation teachers most of these masters and then they uh, inspired me that there are more to this practice like when you practice you can develop the inner happiness like you are happy and you develop the happiness always so that's how i start practicing the pathway so if i mention the names of first uh, ever first meditation teacher ever that i uh, met was venerable sudama thero who was not pop, if he's not actually a popular monk he's he practiced in the path in in forest long time and now uh, he's in a temple in sri lanka and then there were many other teachers who inspired me like venerable vipassivante and venerable uh, uh, vidura thero and also uh, my teacher venerable aryadama mahathero and uh, then paok seado and there are a lot of other teachers that supported me helped me uh, and in uh, few uh, uh, venerable monks in thailand uh, when i was in thailand they supported me as well Uh, so the main inspiration for me was the inner happiness that when more i practice i feel more happy more i develop try to develop the path i feel more happy and then i feel more relaxed so that's why i was uh, interested in meditation because i was happy with this understanding i was happy with the practice i was happy with the concentration that i was developing so that's that's how uh, that's the f- main uh, inspiration as you ask So if you want want to name my teachers I may need few days to think about it 100 I think I have met 100 over monks and uh, got support from a lot of monks a lot of monks in my background uh, because uh, yeah, the memories go all the way up to my childhood <coughs> Okay Any other question? Yes. <coughs> good morning bante thanks for your talk today uh, a question basically uh, when a person is trying to meditate um, obviously uh, we have we have those things like shamatha and vipassana so maybe a stupid question but still asking because i am not able to figure it out uh, something like uh, how much concentration should a person try to develop before he thinks that he can do that particular aspect in which suppose if you have heard like uh, mm-hmm. in zen we say that mm-hmm. for example in soto yeah. zen we have that just setting method zazen right. master dogen's teaching so master dogen said shikanta zazen just setting is the complete buddha dharma in itself correct so but he didn't told regarding his only manual is fukan zazen which mm-hmm. tells about how to do zazen and it has only one paragraph which is just about the setting posture there is nothing else mm-hmm. and after that there are three lines which nobody really knows what it exactly means something like think not thinking how do you think not thinking non thinking that is the three lines and after that all the other paragraphs are not related to exactly doing zazen so that is only paragraph mm-hmm. so ultimately that is still for koan in a way so think not thinking so anyways the it the paragraph is about sitting posture so and the instruction is also something like just that mm-hmm. that is the overall instruction yeah. in zazen so my question is something like uh, now if a person is very restless and anxious and have an analytical mind mm. first of all developing shamatha itself will or a concentration itself is a very mm. out of scope task in a way right. so mm. how can a person in that particular category of an analytical mind know that 
there should be some level of concentration to at least do that just sitting thing right because right. if a restless person does just sitting we do not know exactly whether it's just mm. sitting or it's just like because you don't have a, a vantage point right that mm. from where you can see that okay mm. you are here and things are happening mm. if just sitting is something like just be aware so it can be something like a sound is coming right. and ache is coming mm. in the body and you're trying to be aware but there is no <laughs> single point <laughs> where we are coming back to <laughs> so concentration is not getting developed you know so how mm. much uh, concentration is needed to do that just sitting part mm. that's the question good first of all that's not a stupid question at all that's a wonderful question so the question yes uh, how uh, what is the amount of concentration you need you have actually two different answers for that if you go to the theory theoretically we have in the theravada because this is uh, i'm belong to the theravada part of buddhism so theravada buddhism explain about the theory that is concentration level is dhyana jhana also we call in uh, pali so if you lead uh, develop your mind into at least the first stable concentration level that is the minimum requirement for someone to go to in uh, inside meditation and fulfill that because according to the de- description of mind they explain that just before you receive the or reach the f- ultimate or the first attainment that is sotapanna level it's a theory theoretically you have to go through at least one uh, few mind movements of technically one so mind movements of first stable concentration level that's called first jhana so what is first jhana that is the level that we have vitaka vichara vitaka vichara pirsukha ekagruta five factors of first attainment first jhana so so if someone can reach up to that level that's the minimum requirement for someone to practice up to inside level and then reach the next level if you can go further better because more more the concentration you can develop more men but this won't apply to everyone because there are some practitioners who would interest and would like to practice inside so there are practitioners because we break this pathway the practice into three categories one is samatapubbanga vidasana vidasana pubbanga samatha nyuganadda samatapubbanga vidasana which mean you start from the concentration you go up to certain level of concentration practice vipassana and end the pathway second level you practice start from the vipassana and then you go up to certain level of vipassana and settle down your mind and develop concentration and then based on the concentration you practice more high level of vipassana and reach nibbana third level yuganadda you mix the pathway you practice concentration and uh, insight together there are three different types so when you look at the pathway here majority of the practitioners practice these days based on the concentration method because it's easy you can easily develop a concentration and then develop insight based on that but there are practitioners like my first meditation practitioner uh, teacher was teaching that pathway to start from the vipassana and then find concentration through vipassana it's also possible mm. so if you are a character like that that you interest in analyzing more than concentrating if you have the ability to analyze more than concentrating we mostly recommend that type of mentality to practice vipassana more because then you already have the analytical ability you can analyze things if the analyzation gives you understanding better to practice vipassana more into a stable level that's that's very important there and then it goes to the third one yuganadda also is a very interesting method sometimes you can practice concentration and vipassana together so that's why i say in the first technical level we can say that you need a certain amount of concentration to reach nibbana but the second explanation we can see that either without that certain level you can practice that pathway that automatically or gradually you will develop the certain level of concentration and then that will help you reach nibbana but theoretically for sure without reaching the first attainment at least you have to go through few mind movements of first jhana or the first uh, stable concentration level so that's the so how much of a calm mind should be there to do that just sitting thing oh, oh you mean okay so you, your question is like how uh, like what type of mental factors or the mindset should be how there much, how to analyze whether we are in a Ah okay. So this is again belong to the individual practitioners. Each and every one is different because an analytical person highly studious understand everything. Yeah. Study all the three factors of Buddhism, mm. mm. understand all the concepts separately. Mm. That in reality there is nothing. So everything is theory. Mm. In theory, that goes. Mm. Now, in again again if you go to the theory, 
there's no explanation for that because uh, theoretically the starting point is first first attainment if you if you go with the analytical uh, and theoretical pathway before Uh, the first attainment like there are few like the ab- absorption of concentration ugahanimitta and pratibhaganimitta the previous uh, two or three steps are there but they are like near conditions they are not exact conditions exactly if you look at the theoretical point that will be uh, only the first stable attainment before that the nature of the person because i know there are some meditators their mind was not that stable their practice was not that stable but they managed to develop into a very high level quickly and there were some meditators that i know their mind is very calm and soft they are very nice but they, it took long time for them to reach a stable concentration level so that's that's a problem so sometime you may have like messy mind but you can reach a stable concentration level quickly you may have calm mind but it'll take long time for you to reach the that's the faculty knowledge that, that that's something that we cannot understand have you heard about the indriya paroparyatna jnana the knowledge of knowing the faculty knowledge the ultimate of ultimate knowledge of knowing the faculties only lord buddha have this ultimate knowledge of knowing the others faculties so if someone can if lord buddha were there then he would say for one person for you you need this much of concentration this much of in- insight this much of uh, uh, mindfulness to go to this level so this solution and the formula would be different from each and every individual that's why uh, it's very complicated for a meditation teacher especially when you go to develop into stable levels and it's very difficult to analyze the person and advise him so mostly in the theravada tradition what we do we give them all the tools and ask them to uh, like try out and then ask them to judge for themselves we without we judging about their stability and the level okay so i think we don't have much time now and it's a time for me to go and uh, finish my lunch before 12:15 today <laughs> Okay, you're welcome and hope to see you again soon. Can, can you all be seated at the uh, Bhante is the week of all? You pay respect to Bhante. Sikhi hotu, nibana pachya hotu, sabadu kaapam chasu.